Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. In our series, Summer with the Family, Pastor Kevin Canterbury has a message titled, A Family of Families. Join us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Guys, it's so good to be with you today, and I want to thank Michael and team for leading and doing a, a fantastic job with that. It eases the burden on me so I can uh, focus on giving the message this morning, which I love doing. It's such an honor. Today, we're going to talk about the family. Family is the most fundamental and necessary institution for the flourishing of society and for an effective, spiritually developed church. And yet the family, more than anything else in our society, is under attack by the enemy on all sides. Why is this? Well, the answer is that the enemy knows that if he can destroy, or as we often hear it called, redefine the family and the roles within the family, then he's effectively destroyed the church because the church is a family of families. And at this point, I got to say, he's waging a pretty effective campaign And unfortunately, it has seeped into the church. And some of the ideas that our culture throws at us about our role in the family and what it is are present in the church. So today, we're going to look at what the Bible says and what Scripture clearly teaches us about the family. And hopefully, we can address some of those things. It's not going to be easy. I think some of this stuff in here um, can lead to conversations that are difficult but it also can lead to growth and spiritual development in our marriages and in our family. And this is what we have to do. This is a hard work. So we're going to look at the biblical view of what family is and what its roles are. And before I get there, you guys got your Bibles. I want you to open to um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to be looking at verse 22 uh, through verse 3. We're going to get to that in a second, but have that ready to go. So... We're not going to spend a lot of time looking at how families functioned in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew world or the uh, Judaic tradition because we don't have time to do it. But what I want to do is go back and we know that God created male and female in his image, that he designed male and female to complement each other and to work together as a team. Eve was created, it says, to be a suitable helper for Adam, that is to assist Adam in subduing creation and fulfilling God's will in doing so. She wasn't placed there with her own agenda and neither was he. They're both there to fulfill the mission of God. They were given specific roles designed to achieve the goals that God had purposed even before he placed them in the garden. This is the untainted picture of male and female, man and woman, Adam and Eve. This is even pre-fall. And if we jump ahead, we know that the family in the Old Testament to the Hebrews is the foundational building block of God's people. It's through Abraham's offspring and through the promise that God gives to Abraham and through his kin, his children, that God would call a covenant people unto himself. It's through family that the 12 tribes of Israel are established and given authority and jurisdiction. We see the bonds of kinship at work in stories like that of Joseph who saved his family from death and starvation even after they disowned him and sold him. It's a picture of unconditional love, what he does. We see that relationship between Moses and his Hebrew mother 
that secure the safety and well-being of the man who would lead God's people out of Egypt and become the greatest leader that Israel knew. And perhaps most importantly, we see the essential role that family lineage plays in the line of ruling descendants that stretch all the way from King David to King Jesus and that Davidic covenant that promised a savior would be born through which we all have salvation this morning, those who call Christ our Lord. And so when Israel's families did well, when they honored God, the nation of Israel did well. But when Israel's people fell into things like idolatry or sexual immorality, polygamy, when they dishonored their parents, God's judgment came swiftly and justly to that nation. And then we look to the New Testament. We've just breezed through all that. But the New Testament, especially in what we're going to look at here, this is a letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Uh, We find similar language all over the New Testament. We see a lot of instruction given to wives and to husbands and to children on how their relationship is supposed to uh, take place and what constitutes those relationships in the church. So we're going to look at Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4. Paul gives explicit instructions here to the family, ties it together with the relationship to Christ and the church. It's really important that we understand this. He echoes the same statement in Colossians a little more briefly. Uh, He wrote these books around the same time. Uh, Sometimes we forget Paul is not Jesus. He doesn't have it all figured out. Paul's working through stuff too as he's writing these letters. The Holy Spirit is speaking through him, but in many ways, this is where his thinking is at as well. So let's look at it, open it up with me, and I will read it here. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because your husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to sanctify her, by cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word, so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So Paul starts by pointing back to the created order that we talked about, that there are these defined roles for men and women in the marriage covenant relationship. And he says, it is the responsibility of the husband to lead his family. It is his primary responsibility to lead them, beginning with his wife. Now notice, I didn't say that it's his right or his privilege It's a responsibility between him and God to fulfill this. Regardless of whether he does it or not, he's going to give an account for it. This isn't about who is capable of doing what. Okay, that's not what it's about. This is about living into the role that God has given to each of us so that we can fulfill his will and his purpose. Now he goes on to show how this fundamental relationship is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. He ties that together. 
And he says that here. For no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am actually speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each one of you must also love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This isn't a really easy passage in our culture today, is it? Uh, maybe you guys have gone through this in a small group or something. This can bring up some discussions, um, but I think it's so important that we get this. And it's important because it says there, this isn't really about the husband and wife. This is about a picture of Christ and his church. And we can't truly understand that until we understand the role that we play in our marriages. Okay, so I don't know about you other guys too, but this passage causes me some distress because what Paul's saying is that husbands should love their wives with the same sacrificial, selfless, all-in, unconditional love that Christ has for his church and for his people. Absolutely no contingencies attached. It's unconditional. That's a really high bar. That's a difficult standard. And so it puts this exceedingly high burden on the husbands to be strong, able, knowledgeable spiritual leaders to their wives and to their, to their children. And to go a step further, Paul places this responsibility of presenting a holy and blameless bride, washed and sanctified by the word. Man, men, it's your God-given responsibility to care for your wives in the way that Christ cares for his church. If I could give one piece of advice to a young man who is thinking about getting married or is engaged, I would want them to understand the weight and the gravity of what they're entering into. That by saying yes to this woman, by marrying her, you are planting a little church and you are accepting the call to ministry to pastor that family. That's what you're doing. We can flip this thing around and we say that we are a family of families, but we're a church of little churches and that's your role in the church. Responsibility lies with the men. And if you don't answer men, God has equipped your wife to do it, by the way. And she'll do it. But it's not her primary responsibility. It's yours. Likewise, do not abdicate your spiritual leadership role to pastors in the church or the teachers or the leaders in this church. Just as it is the wife's job to partner and to be a suitable helper for her husband. It is our job as a leadership of this church to partner with you. We use that terminology if you've been to Trailhead. We wanna partner with you in the gospel. It's not our job. I will not give an account for your children. You will. I will give an account for the role that I play here at church and my own family, but that's not my role. So we go on. Paul speaks to children next and the relationship between the child and parent and by the way, I want you to know that your family started when you and your spouse said, I do, not when you have children. I heard uh, some of you know who Andy Stanley is. He's a pretty well-known pastor. He said this years ago. It stuck with me. Children are a welcome addition to your family, but they are not necessary for you to be a family. What this means is that your family started when you said, I do. You accepted that call to minister to your wife. Do not make your family identity about your children and neglect your marriage because your kids are going to see right through it. 
right through it. The best thing that you can do is to exemplify a godly marriage and to love each other. I'm gonna brag on my parents for a minute. They're sitting right back there. And it just so happens that Thursday they celebrated 50 years of marriage. Yeah. Yeah, I think that deserves applause, right? That's amazing because they've modeled for me, and this is rare, unfortunately, what it means to love each other first. And in doing so, you're loving your children because they can see that example in their marriage. So that's pretty awesome. Um, So Paul goes on here. We're going to speak to the children now and starting in chapter 6. And he just has this to say about it. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment accompanied by a promise, namely that it will go well with you and that you will live a long time on the earth, right? This is just speaking back to the Ten Commandments, that Mosaic covenant right there with the people of Israel. And when kids don't honor their parents and when that relationship breaks down, that's when bad stuff starts to happen in Israel. The same thing's true here. It doesn't just mean for our kids. It means our relationship with our parents as old as we are. This still applies. So, That's what the Bible says. It's really clear in this passage about the roles in the household. And we have to see how that's going to translate into the household of faith, the family of God that we're a part of. So before we do that, let's look at the cultural view of family. We spent a lot of time talking about what it says here in Ephesians. What does culture tell us about family? I I think we all know it. We all see it filtering in. And so there's two things I think culture says primarily tells us that family is about self-fulfillment and pragmatic utility. Self-fulfillment and pragmatic utility. This has been true throughout all of human history, by the way. I hear people say that it's never been worse than it is today, that everything's falling apart. We act like this is the first time people have have, uh, sinned or we've seen that. And it's not, by the way. It fell apart pretty quick. Um, But it's been noted by historians and one person in particular, a church father, St. Augustine, um, who lived during the fall of Rome during the fourth century. And he watched around him as the normative family structure collapsed. And in a book he wrote called The City of God, which is a a wonderful book that talks about, uh, really lays out the order of how things are going to work in heaven right out of scripture. He talks about the decline of the Roman civilization and how it was a direct result of the breakdown of these monogamous heterosexual relationships and the deterioration of the parent-child relationship. It was said during his time as a common statement in Rome that wives were for having children, mistresses were for love. That's, That's how their society viewed the relationships. And so in ancient times, the role of family was often distorted as a way to secure lineage or to consolidate power. Kings and queens would marry off their children to keep the line of power. It was about that pragmatic utility. In modern or especially postmodern times where we live, the family is viewed as a means of fulfilling one's personal journey towards happiness. That's really what it comes down to. So to limit yourself to a role in marriage is to support the archaic, oppressive, Judeo-Christian, Puritan views. Anything goes as long as it goes with you. And if it doesn't, leave it behind. And you'll be celebrated for that, right? That's what our culture, that's the way they view marriage. I say all this because people often say it's never been worse. 
Or they might say that Paul's instructions about the family here were really, you know, that's how things were back then. They're not the way they are now. That is not how things were in Paul's day. And especially was not how things were in Ephesus, by the way. Things had deteriorated uh, far beyond what we experience today at the time Paul's writing this instruction to the households. And he's writing it exactly to illustrate the point that our marriages and our families should be countercultural and should serve as an example of how God has ordered and wants us to live. Whether we face persecution or ridicule for that. So he's writing it in this time. Um, as a matter of fact, Paul was most certainly executed under the order of Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero was known for his sexual exploits with young boys, even with his own sister. And this was the emperor of Rome. So he's speaking to a culture much further along than we are in saying this. So now is the time for us to set an example of what a Christian family ought to look like. We haven't gotten that far yet. Now's the time. It, it does have an influence, by the way. It absolutely has an influence. I didn't say this first service. I'm going to say it because I'm thinking about it. But you guys know what's going on with Disney and all that stuff, right? And you can see they're really taking it in the teeth now because people are fed up with it. They're fed up with it. So it does make a difference. We can do something about it. So we've talked a lot about that. But now I want to talk about what the purpose is of the family is the true God-ordained, spirit-led purpose of our families and how that is a picture of the family of God and of Christ and his church. So what is the purpose of the family? Well, the purpose of the family is to accomplish the will of God by raising disciples. It really comes down to that. It's about discipleship. Here's how that practically unfolds in every Christian family. First and most importantly, Family provides an identity. You guys named your children. They get your last name. It provides an identity. I'm part of this household. I said uh, last time I preached about adoption, I talked about how um, the three kiddos that we've adopted and brought into our family, we gave them new names because we felt like that was what we wanted to do. You have a new identity now. We have a new identity in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've been called out. That's what the word church means, ecclesia. It's the called out ones. We are grafted into that promise. The next thing is it provides stability and security. That means you don't have to worry about danger outside because I'm going to protect you and make sure that you can focus on being discipled. There's provision and discipline. You'll always have what you need. You're going to get food. You're going to get clothing. You're going to have shelter. I'll take care of that for you. We all know this. We all do it in our families. And then finally, accountability. This is the thing we don't like so much about family, right? You live in the same house with a bunch of people and you see everybody's flaws. That's a hard thing. And collective wisdom. Collective wisdom means that, uh, I love this, as you get older, 
you have family that you can tap into. Now, sometimes not in a good way. Maybe they set a bad example, but family can set good examples. I love the fact that I can talk to my parents about stuff and say, how in the world did you navigate us through this thing? I don't have to do that alone. I can talk to my older sisters who have families of their own and say, how did you do this? And someday I hope my kids have that same relationship with me. It's a really great thing, that collective wisdom, not having to go through life alone. The second purpose of family is to teach us about the relationship between Christ and the church. This right here is the most important thing, to teach us about this relationship. You see, family is a living parable, and people are watching how you lead your families. I I think you've heard me use that expression before, a living parable. Uh, I've talked about it in terms of the Lord's Supper, right? We do that every week here at Ville Christian Church, and we reenact to remember what Christ has done. And sure, I think it makes people look at us and go, what are they doing? That's the whole point, to ask questions. What are you guys doing? Why are you doing that thing? We do baptisms out here. Why do you dunk people underwater? Well, let me tell you why we do it. I want to articulate it. It's a living parable. Family is the same way. It teaches us and teaches the people outside of our family and outside of the church about Christ and his church. Here's the ways that it teaches us. The exclusivity and holiness of covenant marriage. One woman for one man. And if you've ever read the Old Testament stuff and you're like, well, did God allow that? No, he didn't. That's not the original design. And things go very bad when these guys take on many wives, okay? God's design is that you have an exclusive marriage. There's holiness. It's pure covenant marriage between the husband, the wife, and God. Number two, husband, wife, and children are a parallel of Christ, the Father, and the church and the roles that they play. Number three, husband as the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. This is about sacrificial, unconditional love and the responsibility that the husband has and Christ's responsibility to the church. Uh, Number four, entrance into the family through birth and adoption. You didn't get to choose where you were born, did you? You didn't get to choose that. God placed you in your family for a reason. However functional or dysfunctional that family is, God has a purpose in doing that. Number five, the bond between brothers and sisters in the family. The church is a family of families. It's a household of faith. Jesus has a lot to say about family. We say that we're a family of families, that our kingdom, familial relationships, our relationships with our fellow believers are superior to the relationships with our natural families. Here's what Jesus says about that. Matthew 8, 21, 22. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In Mark 3, 31 through 35, we see an interaction, one of the only ones between Jesus and his mother and his brothers and sisters. This is what it says. Jesus' mother and brothers came. Standing outside, they sent word to him to summon him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And he answered them and said, who are my mother and brothers? And looking at those who were sitting around him in a circle, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And then finally, another passage that brings this point home. Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me 
and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's a tough passage to swallow, isn't it? And at first glance, it seems like God's kind of turning things on its head. But what Jesus is doing is tapping into the strong bond that exists in the family to drive home the cost of discipleship and of following him. It isn't meant to diminish the relationships in the family. As a matter of fact, I would argue Jesus speaking in that cultural context of those Jewish families in the first century, that's a place where there were very strong familial bonds. But he's doing it to underscore the relationship that a true disciple must have for his master. It shows us that our natural ties to family, our kinship is always subordinate to the call to be a disciple. And remember, God's the one that puts you in that family anyways. But he says, your call to be a disciple always over supersedes your call to your natural family ties. It's a powerful statement. And we can say this. The bond between believers is superior to the natural bond between brothers and sisters because it is a bond that is eternal and unbroken. It's founded in God's love and his grace and his mercy. So how much joy do we have then as parents when we not only share the familial bonds of parent and child, but also as brother and sister joined together in Christ? Your kids will not always be your kids. They belong to God, they, and he intends for you to disciple them to become your brother and sister in Christ. Uh, I've had the opportunity to baptize three of my kids uh, so far, and one of the things I did when I baptized them is I made sure that I said, um, when I baptized my son Jacob, I said, I baptize you, my son and my brother to illustrate that this is not just about my child, but this is about uh, responsibility to God to raise up a child that's my brother in Christ. That changes things. So that's really, really exciting when you can call your kids brother and sister in Christ someday. Our role in God's family, what is, this is the what does it have to do with me part. Talked about these roles a lot. Remember, we're bringing this all home to family, and now we're going to look at how our natural family and all these things that Paul's teaching us about roles in the family and about how it illustrates Christ in the church. What does it have to do with us? What does it mean to be a part of God's family? Well, being a part of God's family means acknowledging and living into the role that God has given to each of us. God's given you a unique set of abilities and talents and spiritual gifts, and he expects you to use them to serve his family, his household of faith. It means finding our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. Man, identity is so important. If you look at all the issues in our culture that are rising to the surface, they come down to identity, right? I see it in the kids in the student ministry and in the kids at the schools, and I tell my kids, you know, if you don't befriend these kids and bring them into the church where they can have an identity that points to Christ, they'll take on all these other identities. They'll have gender confusion and all that kind of stuff because that's the devil's way of undoing God's created order and trying to change their identity. 
But if our identity is in Christ and Christ alone, that safeguards us against that. And then contributing to the well-being of the family and to the flourishing of our local body. If there's one idea, we talk about this a lot on staff. I've seen it at a number of churches. There's one idea that we could get across to you guys. We're not just doing this on our own. Like we're here to serve you and to partner with you, but there's an obligation on you as believers. This is your church. If you don't do it, nobody's gonna do it. If you don't step up into the role and lead and serve, there's not somebody else that's gonna do it. It's your responsibility. You need to contribute to the flourishing of the local body. You do that by serving, giving of your time, and by giving of your treasure. That's how you do it. And then it means honoring the structure and order of the local church. God has appointed leaders and elders at our church, and we honor their position. Even if you don't always agree or they say something, we know that God has an order to the church. And finally, recognizing above all things the lordship of Christ. He isn't just the head. He is the Lord over all things. And that title is only for him. Men, I say that because we've talked about this idea of being the head. You're not Lord. You don't replace Jesus. You have an obligation and a responsibility to Jesus. The only way that Vail Christian is going to flourish and make disciples and fulfill the mission and the mandate that God has given us is if the families at Vail Christian Church are flourishing and making disciples. It happens in your family. It doesn't happen at our ministries here. We partner with you, but if you're not doing it in your family, we can't make disciples. If marriages are centered around Christ and firmly rooted and established in him, then we understand the relationship between Christ and his church. When children are taught to honor and respect their parents, and when they're given faithful instruction in God's word by their parents, especially by their father's men, they will honor their heavenly father and cherish his word. As the families go, so goes the church. A family of families and a church of churches, a household of faith. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, you listened to Pastor Noah uh, plead with you guys about uh, prioritizing your children's faith over activities and things that just, there's no shortage of stuff trying to pull your kids out of church. Uh, same thing's true for you as adults. There's no shortage of stuff that wants to get you out of this community and on your own so that the enemy can attack you because that's what he'll do. You listen to Pastor Matt share about the importance of community, about sharing your life with other believers, about being accountable to those people. That's not easy to do. That sanctifies us. That's the work that needs to be done. How do we recapture the meaning of the family from our culture, from the failures that we've had? Well, I wanna speak specifically here to the different roles and the genders. Men, if you fail to lead your family spiritually, you're not alone, you're not too late. It's never too late. There have certainly been times in my marriage where I've abdicated my role to my wife and I've let her take the lead. And she'll do it and she does it well. She may even be more capable than me, but that's not God's design. And when you make a mistake, own up to it. It's okay to tell your family that you have not been doing what you're supposed to be doing. As a matter of fact, I think that's better than anything when your kids see you own up to your mistakes because that's what your kids are gonna have to do someday, right? You're teaching them how to make mistakes and act graciously. And when you make a mistake, own it up, 
You know, teach your kids what it means to be a godly man more than anything. Women, be patient with your husbands. We're stubborn and frankly, we're intimidated by you. (laughs) Don't tear your husband down for being a bad leader, but encourage him. Build him up when he lives into the role. Even if it's a tiny, tiny thing that he does, use it as an opportunity to encourage Give him time and pray for him. Remember that God created him and God put him in your family for a purpose. The only one that can change him is God through the power of his spirit. When that day comes, be ready because when men lead and disciple their families, the church becomes a discipleship-making machine. Finally, I want to say a word to uh, women out there who are either single parents or Maybe you're married to an unbeliever because this kind of message can be discouraging. I don't have a, a man for my kid to do this. But I don't want you to believe for a second that you can't raise godly children. God's grace increases where it's needed. You have a heavenly father. You can do it. It isn't easy, but God's grace is with you. And as you're filling that role, teach your children to honor their heavenly father and to honor their earthly father as well. You can raise up godly men who will one day lead and disciple their families and will nurture and love their spouses in a Christ-like manner, perhaps in a way that you've never experienced. But how great is that to leave that legacy for your children? Find godly men to speak into their lives. Don't let one man's unbelief wreck the next generation of men. You can create a godly legacy We're a family of families, and as the family goes, so the church goes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church, for this local community of believers, for this expression of the kingdom in veil, Lord. I pray that you would help us to step up, live into our roles as husband, as wife, as children, not just within our our own families, God, but our our roles in the church. You've given us all things to do. And when we work together, we don't try to to one-up each other, to supersede each other, God, but we work together for one purpose, and that is the purpose, the mission of God that you put us on. The The church flourishes. We make disciples. We see growth. We see transformation happen. And so I pray your protection over the marriages in our church. May they be strong and rooted and built up in your word alone. Don't let culture seep in and try to tell us what our marriages ought to look like or what they ought to be about. Let only the word of God inform us. Even if it's difficult to figure out, help us to do the difficult task, the task that you've given to us. God, I pray for men, help them to lead their families well, to step up to that role, even if they haven't done it to love their wife unconditionally, to disciple their kids. Let them see their father's faith. And pray for women, Lord, as they step into their role. Help them to be patient with their husbands. And God, also to partner with him in teaching their children your word and to exemplify what a godly marriage looks like. And for children, as our relationship between uh, us and our parents, God, help us to honor and respect and to cherish those relationships. Above all, God, we want to do your will. You've set the example for us. You loved us. You gave yourself for us. Help us to love our families and to lead them well. Pray this in your name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.